ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take you all the way down in New Orleans this time. Ladies and gentlemen, I know it has been a while, but we are back. This is Hard in the Paint, and this is the Dome Patrol with my good friends Ross Jackson and Maddie Hudak. Uh, so good to talk to you guys. It's been way, way too long, and certainly we have a lot to talk about today. Um, first, Ross, man, um, how have you been, and uh, how are you looking forward to the Saints offseason, man? Oh man, I'm I'm doing great. Grateful to be here. Grateful to be back with y'all. Um, yo, I don't remember if the last time we did this, if I was, I think I had already relocated, right? Like I was yes. back here in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. So you know, chilling. Just saw Maddie yesterday. We went and grabbed coffee. <laughs> like, like it's been it's been dope. It's been great. So uh, life is good. Uh, professional life is good too. With being in town and being able to cover the team here up close and personal. And I'm looking forward to this offseason because we knew it was going to be an entertaining one, and we already haven't been let down <laughs> to this part. But we'll break all that down here in a little bit maddie you already you know you went through one of your best professional years getting to to cover your yeah. alma mater on a historic run to the cotton bowl championship you're already back at spring practice uh with the team now um just how are you how, how have you been i've been good as well um it was very good personal se- season for me as well so i'm still kind of getting over that i don't really know where i will go from that season uh as a sideline reporter but it's good to be back at Yolman and see the confetti pop out of random corners, just as a friendly reminder. Although it's weird to see such a turnover on the team. So I'm like, where are my guys? But yeah. you guys are great. And I'm just happy to be back outside and not hermiting in my room. <laughs> <laughs> well, the biggest thing for the Saints, of course, is the signing of Derek Carr uh, to be the new franchise centerpiece at quarterback. To end the the transitional period of two years post Drew Brees, there is a definitive starter under center um, that the Saints have committed to a lot of money, uh, 150 million dollars, 100 million guaranteed. First, um, from a skill set standpoint, before we get into any deeper issues, Ross, what do you think that it is that Derek Carr brings to the table that um, for the Saints, uh, both uh, as a quarterback as positionally and as a person in the locker room. Yeah. Uh, starting with the on the field stuff, I think he's a quarterback that's strong in the short intermediate area. He's not terrible deep by any means, had over a 30% completion percentage downfield. That's pretty much kind of like middle of the pack. Uh, his completion percentage, though, out of all of the quarterbacks that threw 50 or more passes, 20 plus yards downfield was 18th out of 19. But he also had the highest drop percentage on on target throws with the Raiders last year as well. So those two things do kind of offset one another a little bit. And so uh, while I, you know, love the fireworks of the 2022 season that you saw every now and then with Chris Olave down the field, especially Rashid Shahid down the field, who caught six of his seven targets, 20 plus yards downfield last year. Incredible uh, efficiency in the hardest part of the game in terms of the connection between the quarterback and the wide receiver. But I guess that's what happens when you create like five yards of separation every time that you run off the damn line like he does. But, you know, I think that there is something to the fact that these receivers in New Orleans can help make Derek Carr better and get him back to where he was 
as 2019, 2020 downfield. And he can also make better use of them in the middle of the field, as well as attacking the perimeter. So he'll be that quarterback that does sort of the tenets of what the New Orleans Saints like to do, attack defenses laterally, stretch across the field, but also take what the defense is giving you. And of course, we'll get to this in a little bit, but he gives you an opportunity to potentially bring Michael Thomas back, who also is one of your kind of short, intermediate, you know, big time play guys that you can look at uh, pairing up really well with him. I think the Saints still have a lot of work to do around the team. I wouldn't call this the end of their offseason at all. It's simply the beginning. There's a lot of stuff that they have left to address, but I do think that Derek Carr is a fit for what they want to do offensive uh, on the offensive side of the ball, especially with Pete Carmichael still being the play caller going into 2023. As for a locker room fit, the two things that Dennis Dennis Allen told us in, uh, in terms of our conversations with him around Derek Carr that they love about Derek Carr, work ethic, and his leadership ability. And those are both two things that they absolutely um, really treasure at the quarterback position, as every team in the NFL does. He was their target coming into the offseason. They end up landing him. I think he'll be a great fit in the locker room. And it's clear that players rally around him. Players around the Raiders rallied around him uh, and were disappointed upon his exit. Players in New Orleans were excited about his uh, about his arriving here. And Uh, players for the New York Jets were disappointed in him not landing. So there's something about him that players really love. And maybe fans don't really necessarily connect that same way. But NFL personnel, NFL coaching staffs definitely see something in Derek Carr in terms of his ability as a leader. It kind of feels like um, uh, that there's a type that the Saints are looking for as far as personality. Because he's very similar in personality to Andy Dalton. Mm -hmm. Very similar in personality to Drew Brees. Yep. You know, there's there's this thing that Dennis Allen kind of has identified. I don't know if, if, you know, if that's a good or a bad thing, but I think personality wise, that's certainly what Dennis Allen wants is this kind of person. Yeah. Um, Maddie, do you think do you think Derek Carr is an elite quarterback? Is he that kind of ceiling raiser? Because to me, I feel like he's a very good NFL quarterback. But there are a lot of folks in that tier. It kind of feels like it's almost similar to, let's say, a Kirk Cousins, a guy who can win you 12 games. But are you, you know, needs definitely, as Ross said, you need help. Well, I think the idea of elite quarterbacks in general has kind of hit a point of contention, at least for me, where I think that the the class of great quarterbacks is kind of in a drop-off period. And so if you don't have one of those top guys – especially on a rookie contract or anything like that, then, you know, do you swing out for someone like Aaron Rodgers? You know, Tom Brady was on the market for the last few seasons until he wasn't, but I think you're getting a stable long-term option in Derek Carr. And when you talk about the turnover from Drew Brees, when you don't have a successor identified or on the roster for when you've had the same starting quarterback for 15 seasons, then that turnover is going to look ugly. If you look back at history and, I think we saw two seasons of very ugly for the Saints, but you also saw them barely miss the playoffs. And especially last year in a division that just wasn't good and has lost every starting quarterback from last season going into this year. So I think about the year that the 49ers went to the Super Bowl and lost to the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo is necessarily an elite quarterback, but he can execute their offense to a Super Bowl caliber level. And I think if you get the guys like Michael Thomas back and they can sustain a healthy season, depending on where the bye week lands, um, I think he just gives you that foundation to start building on. So you think about this time last year, 
they couldn't even sign free agents because they were trying to make a trade for Deshaun Watson. And so they had to clear all that cap space and then just wait. And you couldn't tell a free agent to come sign here because they couldn't guarantee who the quarterback was going to be. I think you've seen them lose out on quite a few free agents at wide receiver for that reason. The last two years, like uh, Odell Beckham, the season beforehand, trying to sell him on Trevor Simeon isn't really going to work. So the fact that, like Dave said, even if there's like a disconnect with fans, the players really seem to respond overwhelmingly in support towards that, uh, like league-wide, but really on the Saints. Like you think about the comment from Michael Thomas, really a lot of the players. So I think it just stabilizes the team at the most important position. And considering what's available, I don't really know what they would have done to do better than this. And he does have that familiarity from being on the team that drafted him in the first place. So I'm happy at this point to be analyzing this and not what did the Saints do this year at quarterback again and worrying if they can draft a quarterback. Because even if they wanted to, it's still the draft where someone could dump them and take them just like they did with Patrick Mahomes. So I think they're in as good of a spot that you could ask for. Their backup plan was Jimmy Garoppolo. So this is better. Yeah, this is better. <laughs> but the, the, uh, that is that is a good point, though. That this is the it seems like this is a really bad period in the NFL for quarterbacks in general. There are there are way more teams looking for a quarterback than have one. And I think the NFL as a whole is in a crisis with this. Developing quarterbacks is an issue, and it always has been to some degree. But the way the league has changed the rules so much to overemphasize the importance of the quarterback. Because before, you know, 80s, 90s, you could get away with a Phil Sims. You could get away with those kinds of quarterbacks because the running back was just as dominant a mm-hmm. force in the league. Yep. Well, the minimization of the running back has made the quarterback so important that there aren't enough of these guys to fill the spots. And that issue forces teams to, I think, overpay in this market for decent quarterbacks. Yep. There's you know, there's a whole thing that's happening right now too right. to where teams are yeah and Pete Carroll called this out while we were in Indianapolis teams just give up on quarterbacks a lot more quickly as well because yes. of those contracts you get a quarterback if he doesn't succeed on his rookie deal then usually there's a departure at some point during that they didn't pick up you know the the Giants for instance didn't pick up Daniel Jones fifth year option then all of a sudden he had what is at best a mediocre season and now he's a million a year quarterback, $40 million a year quarterback, potentially you have, uh, you know, these other guys out there. Like when we talk about elite quarterbacks, like what makes an elite quarterback, because that definition is skewed. Cause if that, if that definition is Super Bowl winning quarterback, there's four left in the NFL. There's four active right now. And if the Chiefs win the Super Bowl in 2023, there's a good chance he's the only quarterback left in 2024 with the Super Bowl ring because Russell Wilson, Matt Stafford, and Aaron Rodgers could all very well be gone by the beginning of 2024. Like the NFL's quarterback crisis is real. It's really, really real. <laughs> and then historically, this is something that I'd looked at and we talked about either quarterbacks being on their rookie contract mm-hmm. or stepping into a situation that is all you need to do is just add quarterback. Like you saw with Tom Brady in Tampa yep. or with Peyton Manning in Denver or with um, that's, that's essentially I'll give it. I'll give Geno Smith a little shine on that. Right. It, they didn't win. They're not going to win a Super Bowl with Geno Smith, but, you know, they needed a quarterback. He stepped in. They got it done because they had the tools. But I mean, if we go back, honestly, it, and this is the weird thing the last quarterback who was not either on his rookie contract or one of those guys who had already won one and dropped in and won a Super Bowl, that's Drew Brees. 
Mm-hmm. That's Drew Brees. He's the last one. Every other Super Bowl quarterback start who started in a Super Bowl is either a quarterback who was drafted by the team or was dropped in to a perfect situation. So that with that in mind now, the Saints are really having to buck history too because they can be a contender, but historically it says the Super Bowl is unlikely. So when we talk about all that other work that has to be done for Derek Carr, I think that there is a lot of work still to be done because there are questions on both sides of the ball. I don't think, you know, I think a lot of fans have said, well, we, we already have a top 10 defense. Yeah, but that top 10 defense has issues. It's not perfect. So where do the Saints go first in either free agency or the draft in trying to ensure that, yeah, the NFC South is fine, but that's not what you're paying $150 million for to win the NFC South. Defensive I mean, line. you need a defensive line. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like you have no defensive line. It's Sam Jordan and Tano Passanion, and that's pretty much it. And they have no interior. And yeah. Well, they all yeah, play edge. Right. So yeah. if they could get someone to play defensive tackle, and I tend to think their philosophy of drafting in the trenches and the draft has worked for them until it really hasn't with their last few selections at defensive end. But is that more of a critical evaluation of injury history players with high upside from smaller programs that haven't played against bigger competition or what, but I think to the running game in general, just as another philosophy, I don't think it's necessarily a great thing that the NFL has gotten away from it in the way that they have, because I think you're seeing a lot of teams realize how unsustainable that is when all you're doing is relying on a quarterback and then you get a quarterback who probably would be fine five years ago in the NFL when you leaned a little more on a running game. I just feel like everyone's kind of departure from that and undervaluing running backs has kind of not helped this offensive breakdown that we've seen. So I think the Saints really need to bolster that room because when I think about the turnover from Drew Brees, they haven't really done anything to help on the running game either. That first offseason, that first season, you know, Alvin Kamara was the leading rusher and receiver every week leading up to Jameis Winston's injury. And then he got hurt. And then last season they bring in Mark Ingram and he's just not sprightly enough to really back up Alvin Kamara. And then when you have like no answer at quarterback, that just puts more of a spotlight on that. So I think that's just as important to getting the team back to their bases. Cause I just think they've been relying on a prayer, quite frankly, and Alvin Kamara being healthy enough to pretty much do everything. And looking at the longevity of his career, I would just hate to see him get overused to the point of cutting his career short. So I think drafting a running back and drafting in the trenches is really what the focus should be. Is Frank Clark, you know, just got released by the chiefs. Is he somebody that's a reasonable target or is, I mean, or are there defensive tackles on the market that could help this franchise that they can afford? Is there anybody out there that, that, that they're targeting? Yeah, Frank Clark's an interesting one because I, I would like to say, you know, my for my inclination at first is to say that because of his legal issues and because of all the things that he's got going on, that they might not be interested. But then they went very far down the road on Deshaun Watson just a season ago. So maybe that's not as much a concern for them any longer. So that could be an option for them. But I kind of look at the the kind of next tier of defensive tackles for them. Ashawn Robinson out of uh, the Los Angeles Rams, Larry Ogunjobi, most recently of the Pittsburgh. 
Pittsburgh Steelers, but of course, Cleveland Browns and others. Uh, I kind of look at those guys, maybe even a Jaron Reed from the Seattle Seahawks being sort of this tier of mid-level defensive tackles that they could bring in, capitalize because of scheme and rotation, and then draft the higher talent when it comes to uh, defensive tackle in this year's draft, guys like Kalijah Kansi or Mozzie Smith out of Michigan, if he falls or if he's there, uh, they could even go a little bit deeper to a guy like Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin. So this is thankfully for the Saints, a really, really, really well-populated defensive tackle class, both in free agency uh, and in the NFL drafts. So they should be able to find that. But I do think that retaining and keeping David Onyemata in the building is going to be a big priority for them because they'd like to have, I'm sure, at least one of those guys that was on the roster last year back on the roster this year in the defensive interior because right now ain't a single one of them uh, under contract. And I know they'd like Contavia Street too because they absolutely loved what he brought last year as a kind of you know one-year free agent coming out of uh, San Francisco and particularly toward the end of the year, he really caught on. So they view Peyton Turner as an edge, so I don't think that you're going to see him bounce inside. Uh, a guy like Tana Passanio has that inside-outside versatility and so you know maybe they can supplement a little bit there too, but I'm sure that they'd love to have a solid group of four defensive tackles on this roster for 2023. And real quick, I want to correct something that I said earlier about four Super Bowl winning quarterbacks. Four Super Bowl winning quarterbacks that are starters in the NFL. Obviously, guys like you know Joe Flacco, Joe Flacco Nick Foles, here. Chad Henney, like those guys <laughs> are still there and have rings, but those aren't the guys that I that I, that we're talking about. On the offensive side, the left tackle spot. You know, Trevor Penning. You know. He, he, he was injured last year and now you've invested in this quarterback and do you trust him to be that guy and or, and or do you have Andrews Pete in that spot again what do the Saints do at that left tackle spot and then at the offensive line in general we're looking at a couple of down seasons in a row for Ryan Ramchek as far as his level of performance that we were used to um Caesar we still a work in, in development uh, this line is still a little bit in flux. And this was a team that, had, you know, obviously struggled, as we said, to to, to generate um, running lanes, to stay on the field on third downs, those types of things. How do they improve the offensive line? Is, is Andres Pete on a contract year? Am I correct in saying that? I believe he is. I want to say he's coming up. I think he gets Sorry, I had to a little. Yeah, he's coming up. <laughs> Okay. I think he gets a little more flack for his play than is probably deserved. But for me, it really comes down to his ability to stay on the field. And like that just has been an issue. Cause then when you lose Trevor Penning, you have two backups playing the entire left side of your line. Then I think that's where things start to kind of break down. And it's just one of those positions that again, I don't think you can have enough depth at because you can't get anything else going on offense if you don't have an offensive line. So I really wouldn't be mad at this point on either side of the ball, whichever the way the Saints go. I agree with Ross that they should resign David Onyemata because it'd be one thing if they had two solid starting edges, but they don't. And so yeah. you're really trying to just plug way too many holes with band-aids. And I think at some point you have to just spend a little money on those roles, but I can see the case for David Onyemata more than I can for depending on what Andres Pete's contract would be only because of his durability issues. And so for that reason, I'd be looking at the left side of the line. And if there is a good person in this draft class, it would not be the worst thing to double up at the role because you might be able to move one of those guys elsewhere, depending on how they develop. So yep. stock up in the trenches. 
is Alvin Kamara, do you think he is an option for a draft day move? You know, considering the fact that the last two years he has been over, like you, the, the, his usage has been weird. You know, he's been, they've been using him between the tackles. He's had career lows in receptions each of the last two years. He's going to face the six game suspension. Like, I, I mean, maybe even if there isn't a trade, what they have to get more depth at the running back spot. But is Alvin Kamara's future has to also be something that's up in the air too for the long term because he's reached that stage where if you're not a contender, he's about to become diminishing value. Yeah, if they don't restructure his contract ahead of free agency, um, I think there's a chance that you're looking at maybe preparing for life after Alvin Kamara in 2024, mm-hmm. but you're not going to be able to move him because uh, not only is that a six game suspension that's awaiting, it's at least a minimum of six games. That could be eight, 12. It could be a season. We don't know yet until the legal process completely uh, fizzles out, which Maddie probably knows a lot more about that than I do. And so like that trial is set for July 31st, right in the middle of uh, Saints training camp. And then so once that's done, the NFL, this is the process, the part that I'm familiar with, the NFL will you know give off, you know, do its own independent investigation. They'll hand down their discipline, regardless of what the ruling is regarding the actual legal process. And then there'll be an appeals process. And then so probably two or three weeks later, we'll hear about what happens with Alvin Kamara's um Alvin Kamara's NFL suspension and what the discipline could be from from the NFL. Now, I can't imagine that he gets more than 11 games just based upon Deshaun Watson, right? Deshaun Watson got 11 games post-appeal. So giving Alvin Kamara 11 or more games, those two things don't add up. But it's also the NFL, so Lord knows. And so... You know, dis, uh, uh, consistency and discipline is not a strong suit for the NFL by any means. And so I see anything really. Yeah, for real, <laughs> for real. And so when I look at running back, I look at it as something to where you're trying to find somebody that could potentially produce in place of Alvin Kamara in 2023. And then also in tandem with Alvin Kamara in 2023, because that solves Alvin Kamara's usage issues, right? When you have somebody else that can run between the tackles, you don't need Alvin Kamara to run between the tackles. When you have somebody else that can handle 15 uh, carries, Alvin Kamara doesn't need 28 carries, right? You can get back to the selective usage, getting him out in space, using him in certain schemes, certain um, certain types of attacks, things like that. You could scheme him up a little bit more, but then you have to prepare for life after Alvin Kamara as well. So, you know, any number of these running backs in this year's NFL draft class in particular could be that. And of course, there's again, just like defensive tackle, there's a good population of running backs in the uh, in in the free agency market as well. That could make a lot of sense for them. Then I guess the, the other biggest question mark is the development of Pete Carmichael as a play caller, because now the onus is is squarely on him. You have the guy, you have the offseason to prepare. There's a level of familiarity. Certainly they're going to go back in styles to more of the Drew Brees type offensive, like you said, the intermediate and short passing game. How confident should people be in Pete Carmichael as a, as a play caller and what necessarily maybe last year, did we not know that made his transition in that role a little bit more difficult because certainly not having a court, the court of, you know, the injury is a part of it, but it felt like at times there was a struggle to find an identity for the offense, an idea of what they wanted to do. It didn't matter who the personnel was, the usage of Taysom Hill being inconsistent throughout the year, you know, the, the failure to, to, to really get Alvin Kamara outside of, you know, out on the edges and those types of things. What what do you think that Pete Carmichael has ha, has done, and is there any revelations for him um, in his development in taking control of this offense? 
There's a lot here. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack here. Maddie, do you want me to start on this one? Yeah, you can go ahead. Um, so here's the one thing, the, the one thing personnel wise that I will point out, and then there's all the bad tendencies, right? And we can get to all the bad tendencies running on second and tens after incomplete passes. That was a trend, all these other things, bad uses of Alvin Kamara, Taysom Hill, yada, yada. But there was one thing about the personnel that, and I, I have an analogy that I like to use for it. It's the fact that like the Saints went all in on Jameis Winston during the offseason, right? They signed Jameis Winston and then almost immediately Taysom Hill's no longer part of the, the the quarterback competition conversation, though he'll still take quarterback snaps, but this is Jameis Winston's offense. And then they built an entire offense for Jameis Winston, and then he fractures four vertebrae in his back. We find that out ahead of the week two game against the uh, against Tampa Bay Buccaneers, plays in a game that he probably shouldn't have played in. The Saints could have never kept him off the field for that game going up against that team in the Superdome where he had the injury last year. There was nothing there we're going to be able to do about it aside from like strapping him down and saying, sorry, buddy, you're not playing. And so then the injury worsens, so on and so forth. Right. Then they take this Jameis Winston offense that they've built that includes Chris Olave and, 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 and Jarvis Landry playing an intermediate to deep role. Michael Thomas playing multiple level role, the three level role, Alvin Kamara playing a lead back role as opposed to a scat back role. And then they say, okay, now it's Andy Dalton's. And so the way that I think about it is that like, Okay, Grub, you and I are very you you and Maddie are very different heights. You and I are very different heights, right? If yeah. if you if you're if you're driving in your car and then Maddie says, "Hold on, I'm going to drive." And she gets in your car, she's got to move the seat. She's got to adjust the mirrors. She's got to bring the steering wheel up or down. I would have to do the same thing. If I go in after Maddie, I've got to do the same thing, right? So you spend all this time like recalibrating before you could drive. Now, very easy to do in a vehicle where you have five options. Much harder to do in a you know, when you're driving a vehicle that has the one of the you know deepest playbooks in the NFL and is also dealing with injury after injury after injury, which we can't make the excuse of injuries because they still put players out on the field. They still played games, right? But- that may, that has a difference. So I do think that for Pete Carmichael, there is a little bit of he's there's still a lot of stuff he's got to do right. He's got to get the identity right. He's got to get these trends, these tendencies that are so easy to point out that we're pointing them out, which means NFL teams are definitely seeing it too. Those types of things have to get fixed for sure. But there is something about the long-term recalibration that happens when you take a quarterback of a specific skill set like Jameis Winston and then put in a 35-year-old Andy Dalton in place of that and say, here, drive the Ferrari and see what you're able to do with it without any real, you know, they I mean. Remember, he took over in London, too. So, like, there's all the other pieces to, to all of that. So, I, I think that is a big part of it. And then there's all the, like, tendencies, traits, things like that, that they still have to get right from the Pete Carmichael play calling perspective. I think what sticks out to me, too, is the trend upwards at the second half of the season where it did seem like, okay, this is what everyone thought we were going to be doing with Taysom Hill all season. Kind of frustrating. And it took this long to get there. But something that flew under the radar was just how much – Drew Brees offered in that room that I think might not be as obvious until he's gone. Because if you're used to something for 15 seasons and then the season following is Taysom Hill, Trevor Simeon, Jameis Winston, Ian Book, and I mean quite literally all four of them, you're going to be playing them. It's not like he really had any foundations laid after Drew Brees left. Uh, and then Sean Payton leaves. And then, like Ross said, kind of retooling the offense to fit around Jameis Winston. Then he goes down in week two uh, there's a lot of factors going on. I think the tendencies are important to point out because that doesn't really have anything to do with the outside stuff. But I just think about the value of Drew Brees and the fact that that's really all Pete Carmichael has experienced 
uh, through the NFL. And so I think getting someone that's able to a offer a little more in the room and car and to come up with plays and the like, but also it is probably a more similar offense to what Drew Brees was running than Jameis Winston was running. And it's probably easier to kind of go back to those basics, but at least to just know and have an identity of that and know now and not know halfway through the off season that it's going to be Jameis Winston. And then you're kind of making this rash we need to retool everything in the toolbox. Whereas I don't think they fully kind of committed to that last season. They tried to run Andy Dalton in the same system, but I think this is just an easier back to basics thing for them. But I think the spotlight will be definitely on Pete Carmichael and Dennis Allen this season, because you could point to a lot of things last year, the injury at quarterback and the injury at every role on the field, but health withstanding, they made some good moves already, but there's probably going to be less goodwill of, giving them time to get things acclimated because this will at this point be year three post Drew Brees and really finally solving that answer at quarterback. So be curious to see in training camp. He said it was, it did stick out that Michael Thomas was running really deep routes last year. Um, and it just seems like an easier way for them to redistribute their personnel. Yeah, Cause now there are expectations. Yep. And last year there were kind of expectations because you expected if the team was healthy, that was a double-digit win team. That's what we all, you know, figured. If Jameis could get through the whole 17 games, they were at least a 10 or 11 win team. Well, now that's the baseline that fans are expecting. Like, like as they nothing less than 11 wins is is what fans are already on board with. And I think that does also require a shift for Dennis Allen to be a little bit less conservative because those those situations and and that disparity. And I think it was highlighted in a lot of ways by um, Dan Campbell when he was asked, you know, what he what he took from Sean Payton as a head coach. And they are not the same. Dennis Campbell and Sean Payton are not the same, but there are similarities. And the thing that Dan Campbell says is sometimes you just got to screw the, you know, you don't look at the card and you just go with your gut. And I think that's where Dennis Allen has to get to some at some point, because mm-hmm. I felt like last season there was a lot of times where he just stuck to the card. And it cost the Saints in situations where you cannot be risk averse. You've got to take some chances if you're going to win games. And he was so risk averse at times. That's maybe it's part of just him getting into that first year again, but he doesn't have that anymore. That 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 net is gone. I'm curious too how much of that was him trusting Pete Carmichael as opposed to trusting himself in a situation to where maybe he would be a little bit more aggressive. I mean, look at Dennis Allen as a defensive coach. He's remarkably aggressive. I mean, he is measurably aggressive on defense blitzes on third and whatever. doesn't matter (laughs) obvious passing situation or not. He's sending people the way that he teaches his corners to play. The defense is inherently risky. It's an Island defense for corners. It's a man defense for his corners with Sometimes two deep safety, sometimes one deep safety. Played a lot more split safety this year. But inherently, his personality as a defensive play caller is aggressive. Pete Carmichael's is conservative, hence the runs on second and 10 following complete passes. Oh, gun shy, because that was incomplete. What if the next one's intercepted? Keep the ball on the ground, see if we can get to third and eight, see if we can get to third and six. Like That's the kind of stuff that Pete Carmichael did last year. And so I'm curious how much of the conservative effort was Dennis Allen trusting Pete Carmichael as opposed to pushing him to say, no, give me something that's a great, like, let's move the ball. Let's get it going. Saints didn't go for it often on fourth down. That's a head coach call. Saints didn't, you know, push in those sort of 
uh, you know, end of game situations. And they were terrible in in game situations, particularly in the second half. The offense was consistently flat there. You look at the Carolina Panthers game that really summed up what the season was great first opening drive and then nothing but misconnection after misconnection, conservatism after conservatism when it came to the rest of that game. And then you got beat by a quarterback that had like a 3.7 passer rating or whatever it is that Sam Darnold had that was absolutely atrocious. And so I think, you know, those pieces now come to the idea of you're right. Dennis Allen was a little bit too conservative, but now I'm curious to see if maybe his otherwise aggressive nature as a play caller now starts to permeate over to the offensive side because this is Dennis Allen's shot. He's got his guys in the defensive staff. He made the decision along with Mickey Loomis not to get in the offensive coordinator search this offseason when like 16 teams, 14 teams were looking for offensive coordinators and the Saints didn't have a quarterback to sell to anybody, right? To get him to come there as opposed to anywhere else. And then... um and so you have all of these pieces and now you have your quarterback who you drafted in 2014, who you started as a rookie in 2014. You have everybody that you want. This is your team now. So this becomes Dennis Allen's year. And so I'm curious about how much more he starts to get involved with. Give me something better. Give me something more. Give me something more aggressive. We should attack here. Because I, I think that should losses. be plentiful. That should be plentiful for him this year. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, uh, trust Pete Carmichael. My first thing was not trusting the quarterback. And I think those two are married within the same thing where Good point. thinking about the end of the game play calls, uh, if you don't trust your quarterback, then that makes things a lot more difficult, especially if your inclination is to be conservative in the first place as offensive coordinator. And so to me, that signified like on the fourth down calls, for example, where a head coach makes that call. They don't necessarily trust that the offense for whatever reason is going to be able to execute that. But I think that there is almost like an assumed air of trust now with that familiarity of drafting Derek Carr and him being a longtime starter and not, you know, the journey kind of backup man. Not, not that Andy Dalton wasn't a starter at one point, but he was like 13 years ago at this point. So I think it's very different here. Uh, and so I think, yeah, trusting the quarterback is really going to be paramount because that's really what's going to, win and lose some football games when it comes down to it. Uh, and like we said, they don't necessarily have an elite option, but they have one where you can't afford to be that conservative um, moving forward, especially kind of, I guess it's difficult probably to live in Sean Payton's shadow as well um, versus Dan Campbell out in Detroit, where you can probably afford to be very aggressive and there aren't really any lofty expectations of what that team is going to look like. And it was a team that was really dead in the water to me until Dan Campbell went and kind of emotionally resurrected their team identity. So I think looking at the situations, he's stepping quite literally into Sean Payton's aggressive shoes. And I think Sean was able to pull that off in a way that we saw it unfold in the season after Drew Brees retired. And that required a lot for him to be able to pull that off and still be aggressive while doing it. And so I understand kind of falling back into a more conservative thought pattern, but I'm with Rosser. This is kind of the training wheels are off. Uh, this is not a first-year head coach, and it wasn't a first-year head coach really in the first place, but given all the circumstances, fine. And same thing with Pete Carmichael, but it, they they need to win this year and probably make it to the postseason in order for this all to kind of make sense. Because, I mean, they're, clearly they're the favorite to win the South. Um, unless something dramatic happens with somebody else's quarterback, you know, I mean, I think Carolina, I don't, I'm not counting out Carolina. Uh, I think they have a lot of talent there and they have an identity. They're the only other team, I think, in the division that has a clear identity and understanding of who they are. I think they made a mistake 
in their coaching, but but we'll see what if if that how that pans out. That was their choice. But last, I guess the last thing is where they do sit today. Do you think it is a fair slot where folks have the Saints as maybe the fourth best team in the NFC today, or do you think there's a little bit, you know, this is just that that boost that comes with the excitement of having David Carr that really lets they're still because of the pieces that need to be put in place, it's a little too early to anoint them as a favorite to win the NFC. Very early. <laughs> but we it's live in scary. hot takeville. It's, so I know. <laughs> I know. They're right there right now with the Detroit Lions, you know, as fourth in the uh fourth in the <laughs> NFC. And are we that sure about the Detroit Lions as well? No offense, no offense, DG. Hey, but you know what I'm saying? I'm like, not sure. Like that's you know, Jared like, Goff. No, right. That's like, Jared no Goff. Right. And then so like there's just this clump of different versions of Kirk Cousins that are kind of like rab- all, all kind of wrapped up in the second, third, fourth spots. You've got guys like, you know, Dak Prescott, who's basically Kirk Cousins. You've got, you know, Derek Carr, who's hard to identify as different from Kirk Cousins. You've got Matt Stafford, who's just like old Kirk Cousins, Jared Goff, young Kirk Cousins. Like you have all of these like different versions of Kirk Cousins in the NFC. And so I think maybe you can look at the Saints and say, okay, they have a top five quarterback in the NFC. I think that's fair. Maybe that requires Aaron Rodgers to be on the move. It depends on how you feel about Dak Prescott. It depends on how you feel about Geno Smith's really fantastic 2022. Can he repeat that in 2023? Depends on how you feel about Daniel Jones. But Jalen Hurts is like alone at the top of the NFC as the best quarterback in the division, in or excuse me, the conference, in my opinion. And so like, where is Derek Carr after that? And so when you look at these early, 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 way too early, uh, you know, conference odds and conference rankings, it's mostly about the quarterback at that point. But what I will say is that the Saints have every reason to be the favorite in the NFC South, at least within the division. Um, They had probably the least coaching changeover in terms of the big three positions. They did have to make changes at DC as well, uh, just like, you know, a couple of other teams. But Still Did Dallas they defense. really make a d- change at DC? Right, right. Yeah. Like you got Joe Woods, who's a you know a great guy and who's excellent with the secondary, but he's going to be effectively DA's top assistant. So DC, the defensive scheme doesn't change. The philosophy doesn't change. You just get new ideas is what it is. So I think that like that helps them leverage a little bit, but there is so much more that we've highlighted wide receiver, running back depth on the offensive line, health defensive line. They only have the only two safeties that are on the roster right now. Well, no, they just signed Ugo Amadi. So you got a special teamer and then you have your two starters and Marcus May and Tyron Matthew. And by the way, Marcus May might miss time in 2023 too. And then you've got Smoke Monday coming off of injured reserve. You might lose Caden Ellis. So you've got two starting linebackers, an injured rookie going into his second year. And whom else do you have outside of that? Right. So there's so much that still has to be built up. But this is really kind of the first time since the pandemic salary cap drop where the Saints are actually in line here to have good starting talent and fill out depth at the next level. If they can do that. And get their play calling woes taken care wait woes taken care of. Then I think they deserve to be the favorites in the division, but they're still kind of in the middle of the Kirk Cousins variant variants, if you will, when it comes to the NFC. I don't think that there's a place here where you can say they're the favorites in the conference or even really top three in the conference just yet. Got to wait and see what they do for the rest of the offseason. But the goal definitely has to be that in the signing of Kirk Cousins and with this with Dennis Allen and it being a four year thing, Derek, Derek Carr, Derek <laughs> Carr, but still. But it's 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 four years, right? Like it yeah. has to happen for Dennis Allen 
and this team now. Like there's mm-hmm. you are you are pushing the button on this to because you're not drafting a first round quarterback. Now you're not taking somebody to develop now. You may take somebody in later rounds to see if you can, but right. you're all in on the Derek Carr experience. Yeah, you just look at the contracts for like Jameis Winston these last two seasons doesn't really signify that much confidence in that role. So, yeah, I think when you spend that much capital on the most important position and I think they had a sense of what they had at other positions last year. What would this look like with a quarterback? And I agree that you can't really make season predictions at this point, because I think we all learned a lesson in that, especially Saints media and our win predictions last season. I will be the first to eat crow on that, that one. So yeah, that was a tough oh. one. Um, none of none of us looked great, but ev- yeah, everyone was overly optimistic. I think as much as there was kind of flack for that, it's probably preferable to everyone coming out saying this is doomsday. But I think I've learned a lesson in just sitting back and waiting. That being said, thinking of how easy it was to grab the NFC South last year and how they kind of just squandered every opportunity when uh, it was there up until the end of the season. Uh, and then you just think about those team situations all getting more unstable this offseason. So uh, on a logical side, on its face, and where we stand now, I think the expectations are valid for them to be a contender in the NFC South. But to make any predictions beyond that is just something I'm not going to do at this point. Way too early. Ross, obviously you're working on the draft and um, getting ready for that. Um, what do you have going as far as what folks can uh, be expecting from you there? Uh, yes, <laughs> I've got, I've got it all. I've got everything. You want draft prospects? Fine. We got them. You want free agency targets? Fine. We got them. You want more Derek Carr news? We got them. You want hardcore numbers on how Derek Carr, you know, operates in the middle of the field and why he was a better choice than rookie quarterbacks who are only throwing out to the perimeter at the next level and don't know how to throw in the middle of the field anymore in today's NFL. That's there, like everything. So I'm just trying to give as much of a comprehensive look at the Derek Carr ripple effect, even looking at things like they got Derek Carr in the building on March 6th. March 13th is the beginning of the legal tampering period, or as the NFL likes to call it, the negotiating period of free agency. Uh, what impact does getting Derek Carr early have in courting some potential free agents, keeping Michael Thomas, all of that? So just trying to give as most, uh, you know, as comprehensive a look as possible over on the Locked on Saints podcast around all of the different sort of tree branches that come off of the the, the Derek Carr tree that has sprouted up <laughs> here in New Orleans. Maddie, what you got working for the people? Um, I am probably going to stay away from mock drafts this year because I – simply don't enjoy doing them. And I honestly haven't had that much time to, draw, to uh, check out prospects. Um, what I can offer is any insight on Tulane players. So I'll probably be <laughs> following up with a few more of them at, at their pro day and whatnot. Um, if anybody's yeah. looking at Maddie's Twitter feed, you, it, <laughs> you are going to learn everything you need to know about any Tulane player who is eligible for this draft. It is so all, all there. The, all the Tajay Spears uh, excitement in New Orleans right now. Maddie's the Maddie's the <laughs> conductor of the train, so that's where to go. Try my best, and he will be at our pro day, so it'll be a can't miss event. But that is pretty much what I'm working on: is my little green wave guys going to the draft. <laughs> and I would just tell y'all, just give a tease that there is going to be some big news coming from Harden to Paint really soon that I'll be excited to announce. Um, so just hang with us; um, it's going to be just historic. 
I'll say it like that. It's going to be historic. And I'm really proud of what we're doing. So stick with us on that. But guys, it's always a pleasure to talk to the both of you. You are two of my favorite people in this business. You're two of my favorite people just in general. And uh, we just have to get together now and and have our group outing and get our tattoos together. As we, yeah, we got to figure out what the tattoos we're going to do. Do they have any matching or are we... Starts. Are we, do they have you? Well, oh, unless you guys are getting all... Tulane tattoos with me, I think. No, I'm not getting a Tulane tattoos. <laughs> okay, dope, dope, dope. Because I have an idea that means a lot to me, so right, I'd love to I do that with y'all. I have figured mine. Perfect. Too. So perfect. Sometime this off season during the summer, we will we will all get together and we will have our tattoo field trip, and we will record it for for prosperity. I got a guy. Jay's going to take be, care of us. I am I am yes. a tattoo virgin, so I will probably scream like a girl. Like a you are? Too, like a child. You don't you, you don't have a you a, a now nutter? Not a, not, not a nan nutter. <laughs> not a nun. <laughs> so that is, you know, it, my I, I I promised that I would get it done before my 48th birthday. So that was so uh, this year I'm turning 48, so I gotta get it done. Nice. And yeah. I figured I, out what I was gonna do. So I, it's special to me. Mine is special to me. And it's uh important for I, I, I said, you know, I, I didn't want to get something that would just be silly. I want to get something yeah. that was going to be meaningful to me. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, no so. dueling dragons on your back. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'm not getting thug life tatted across my chest. <laughs> you know, you know, it's not going to be that. Uh, it won't be, it won't be Bugs Bunny. It won't be Calvin pissing on anything. It's gonna be... <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad I'm going to do it with you guys. Same. Likewise, same. So until the next time, for the Dome Patrol, Ross Jackson, Matty Hudak, I am David Grubb, and this has been Pardon the Paint. <laughs>